0: Wicker from New England Curiosities. Thank you so much for joining us today. With me here in the studio is the amazing Ken. And of course, behind the board, the Professor Lou Blassie. And I am so excited because the weather is good. So when we talk about our road trips, we can actually go and do them now, Um, because it was just this past weekend, I heard from some of our listeners that they actually went down and did our Cape Cod road trip this past weekend. Nice. So they went down and uh, posted some pictures of the Edward Gorey house, checked out the cemetery, as we mentioned. So people are getting out there and feeding their curiosity, which I'm super excited about. Um, although today's road trip will be to an island somewhere in Casco Bay. So we're going to talk mm. about Peaks Island. We're going to talk about lobsters. We're going to talk about phantom cats and ghost ships. So we're going to be up in Maine today. You might
1: have to get on a boat for this. You
0: might have to, <laughs> but you can put your car on the boat. That's which right. Which is really super cool. You can ferry your boat right over to the yeah, island. Pretty
1: soon that's where you want to going to want to be, on a boat.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm already there. I've been <laughs> waiting for it. So today we also have a special guest that will be joining us in just a little while. Um, his name is Captain John, and he is one of Maine's most knowledgeable lobster experts. So I, I decided that this might be a little something fun to talk about. Uh, I think I had mentioned on our first show that I was out doing one of my walking tours along the Portsmouth Waterfront, and I had some folks on the tour who were from the Great Lakes, and they didn't understand the process of lobstering and what was floating in the Piscataqua River and how they transport lobster and all of that fun stuff. So really? I thought would be kind of fun. They I know, know we it.
1: take it for granted, right? We, we yeah,
0: do. we're just like,
2: duh, really? They're yeah. like, what are those buoys out there?
0: Well, we didn't say, duh, really. No, we no. Explained. You think that's, that? That's though. why I'm the spokesperson. <clears throat> <laughs> Does it it doesn't everybody know?
1: <laughs> He's not saying it out loud anymore. No, He's you in, think no. just
0: in his head. No, for for for. Of being pushed into the Biscayne River.
2: That's
0: right, going swimming to go swimming. So we thought it'd be kind of cool to talk about, you know, what's going on with lobstering, all those neat questions about lobsters, and it was really kind of cool because we got to do some extra lobster research yesterday. We went to the Weather Vane, which is right around the corner from our house. It was so the, some
2: delicious research, some delicious <laughs>
0: research for the show. Um, it was actually the the first Weather Vane that ever was opened in 1969 in Kittery, Maine, which is right around the corner from our house. That's so right. I said, Ken, we have to do due diligence for and our man, show yeah. tomorrow.
1: It's deductible, by the way. It, it oh, is. Yeah. It we is. made the sacrifice and we went show prep.
0: Well, it's, it's funny because I actually had a gift card that I had received. I had done a speaking engagement a couple of weeks ago at the, the country club in Nashua. And there was about 175 people. And I was the speaker on Ghosts and Folklore. And the woman who had hired me said, oh, here, why don't we give you a raffle ticket? It'll be fun. And the only raffle they had, I won.
1: Oh god!
0: <laughs> so it, it didn't. It didn't look too good. Some of the uh, the guests were blaming it on the ghost. They said the ghost must have intervened for you to win the raffle. I was like, what was that? <laughs> so uh, good ghost. The good ghost. The good yeah. ghost intervened. So we're really super excited to to talk about lobster and all things seafaring. Have you ever been up to Casco Bay, Lou? Uh, yeah. And taken the ferry? No. You have. You have. Have you, you haven't done any of the boat cruises out amongst Casco Bay?
1: I'm trying to, the only islands I've ever been, and I'm not even sure if it's in Casco Bay, i got to go check the geography, was uh, Vinalhaven. I spent some time on Haven. That's uh, further that, up. That's further that's up, further up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, Casco Bay is is Portland, Cape Elizabeth, and the calendar islands that are all there within the bay. I've, ate at the, I've eaten at that oyster joint on the water. De, DeMillo's? I believe that's the restaurant. No, of... The
2: one that's in the floating in the boat? Yeah. Yeah, it's DeMillo's, or DeMillo's. Uh, yeah. yeah.
0: Yep.
1: So... I guess I've been on the bay. (laughs) (laughs) Right at the dock.
0: In in, in one form or another. That, That counts. It does count. So um, I wanted to talk about Peaks Island a little bit, and I'll, I'll post pictures of Peaks Island. Ken and I go out there usually twice a year, and you can take the ferry right over from Portland. You can take your car if you want, but it's a little, it's a little island by comparison. It has just about 1,000 people that are out there. Um, it's pretty seasonal, mm-hmm. so when it's off-season, there's about five 600 people that are out on Peaks Island. It is part of Portland. They winter
1: on an island off the coast of Maine.
0: <laughs> they
1: do. Yeah. People. They
0: they are they, they are.
1: are. It's only
2: a ten minute boat ride. It's it's one of the closer islands to, to the mainland. Yeah.
0: But still who wants to winter out in the middle of the water?
2: Yeah, it's yeah cold and windy. Oh, God.
0: But we learned a very valuable lesson, and um, as we start to talk about Peaks Island, we're going to share our, um, our strange experience that happened last year. Uh, we went out, and this is the first time we had gone out to Peaks Island on a Monday, and we usually like to bring our car so we can get around the island and see all the sights, and we uh, were sitting having dinner. Uh, overlooking the bay and looking across to Portland, and we saw the ferry come in, and we're like, "Oh, you know, we we got time. There'll be another ferry a little bit later." And we did not realize that the last ferry out was at eight o'clock, oh. and we got stuck on the island. Oh God! And so we were,
2: we were stranded like castaways. We were,
0: yeah, we were <laughs> cast away on Peaks Island, so we had to sleep in the car on the really?
1: island. Really? Yeah, the, the I imagine t- that happens fairly regularly.
0: It must. It, it must. And yeah. we only saw one car go by us the entire night. Mm-hmm. Like nobody came by. We we pulled off into a little uh, pull off on the far side of the island. Yeah. There was like one car at ten o'clock, and there was nothing else. Wow. Yeah, there's like two hotels on the island, and they were both booked, so we couldn't get a room. Yeah, I I tried calling. I tried Airbnb. That didn't work out. So it was like, all right. So we're gonna we're gonna have to camp out in a little car.
2: <laughs> it's sleep by the ocean. Wow.
0: But it was beautiful because uh, from the far side of the island we got to see the sunrise over Casco Bay, which uh, was really nice. gorgeous. And yeah. I'll, I'll post a picture of that. It was absolutely stunning. But um, we were we were in the little car. We have we have a big car and a little car, and unfortunately we're in the little one, so we were, we, we felt like lobsters in a cage when <laughs> 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 we got out of the car. <laughs> but um, Peaks Island is it's just three miles from Portland. It's Absolutely beautiful, it used to be home to theaters and amusement parks, and it was it was a little destination back in the day and uh, it's actually one of our secret places, it's not gonna be secret anymore now that I say it um, it's actually one of our secret places to find sea glass because there are a couple of beaches there, and if you can imagine over the years with the amusement parks that have been there, oh. all the stuff that's been dumped out there, yeah, so we found some really cool stuff, and then there's a side of the island. That's a channel, and in that channel, you can imagine all the stuff that's been dropped. So we like to spend a lot of time out there. glassing, there's only three restaurants on the island, <laughs> and there's a lot of trails to go walking and hiking. There's a couple of great cemeteries in there. I'll post some pictures yeah. of the burial grounds that are out there. Are gonna-
2: yeah, there's old military bunkers, and you can hike the trails, mm-hmm. and you can actually go through the bunkers. It's, really? It's pretty cool. They're just open? They're wide open. Yeah, they're yeah. wide open. What era? Military bunkers. Looks like World War, World War ii War Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can see where the you know, the big gun mounts used to be, you know, all yeah. the bolts on the ground,
1: staving off that big Casco Bay attack. <laughs> uh, the Germans—they <laughs> were ready. They were—they
0: they were ready. Um, and it's funny, Peaks Island, as recently as 2011, has been trying to separate from Portland, Maine. They keep going through these succession efforts where they don't want to be part of Portland because I guess over the past 10 years, their taxes have gone up over 200%. Good for them. So <laughs> they, they keep putting forth efforts. And I guess the what city... Are they,
1: do they want to attach themselves to someone else or just want to be independent? They want to be
0: independent. They want to be independent from Portland.
1: That's so- the 51st state? <laughs> <Peace> <laughs> Even smaller than Rhode Island. Yeah,
0: way smaller than Rhode yeah. Island. So the, the last time they tried to separate from Portland, I found it pretty interesting that Portland put together a, a group of people to be a liaison to, to the island. So the island also put together a group of people. As an ambassador to Peaks Island? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: To Portland, of all things. From,
0: from Portland to Peaks Island. And so the group that had assembled on Peaks Island, after they felt they weren't getting results for a year, they actually disbanded. So now there is only the liaison from Portland. There is none from Peaks Island. So they very much are into like doing their own thing out there. Yeah. They're their own their own little place out there.
2: Islands are their own little worlds if you've ever been out on islands anyway. Yeah. So they, they do their own thing. Yep. You know, cars with no license plates, it doesn't matter because they don't leave the island. Yeah, really? Yeah, they don't register them. Golf carts everywhere.
0: Well, and let, let, me, let me tell you because there was the golf cart incident that happened that made national mm. news mm. on Peaks Island. Uh-oh. Beginning in the summer of 2009, a 19-year-old summer resident offered free rides, tips only, to residents and tourists in his electric golf cart to help pay for his college tuition. The Peaks Island transportation system found itself losing business to an unregulated competitor with less overhead and took its complaint to the Portland City Council. And on August 16, 2010, the council voted five to three in favor of amending the city's taxi definition to include tip only services effectively regulating the golf cart taxi out of business and hmm. this was in national news wow so yeah so it's, it's pretty interesting It, it is, island life is very different out there but it is an amazing place to go and explore. There's a lot of really cool nature out there. Like I said, the cemeteries are absolutely amazing. Very uh, 19th century, a lot of seafaring stories on the, on the stones, yeah. a lot of ship captains out there. Um, and they're really the cemeteries are really tucked away. You have to know where to find them. The first time we went out there, I mean, it took us hours. And we're just on this little island to find the main cemetery out there. It was out in someone's basic backyard, but it was yeah. beautiful.
2: It's up on the top of the island pretty much. You go up this hill up the center of the island, and it's big grassy... Huh. kind of field up there so you have to go through private property to
0: well it's like it's like little dirt roads that look like they're someone's driveway right. and and that's a lot of peaks island with the exception of the road that goes around the outer edge as you get into the middle like you don't even know where you are and it's it's very if it's it's got a lot of trees and a lot of nature mm-hmm. and there's a lot of secluded sections to peaks island but so is that
1: like a public cemetery or is it family plots no, it's,
0: it's a public cemetery
1: yeah. for for the island yeah yeah, there's a
2: there's a right of way uh, right up to the gate. You can park right in front of the gate there and go in and, and check it out.
1: So it's open to the public. Yeah. Is somebody maintaining it or is it Yeah,
0: it was very yeah. well maintained. Uh-huh. There's a great set of iron gates to it and So I'm guessing it's probably a Portland City
2: Cemetery. Yeah, it, it, well it, yeah,
0: there's a sign out there that says <clears throat> City of Portland, you know, rules and regulations on it as you go into the cemetery. So, it is Portland. But yeah, so our our drive today is to go up to Peaks Island. So all you simply have to do is take, you know, Route 95 up into Portland and then go right down to the old port. And Casco Bay Ferry Line will be the way to go over. You don't have to take your car. Most people take bicycles. We take the car because we try to make the most of the island. But if you don't mind walking or biking, it's really cool. Most of the the island is up on a hill, too. So the view from there is absolutely amazing. You can buy a lot of little local made stuff. And one of the places you definitely want to go to check out out there is the Umbrella Cover Museum.
2: It's Um, a curious
1: place. Umbrella cover It's a wicked
0: curious place on the island. Umbrella cover. (laughs) It's just the covers to umbrellas, not the umbrellas themselves. Just the covers. Just the covers. So it's open just a few hours a day, and people send in umbrella covers from all over the world, and you can go in and check out the umbrella covers.
2: And it's just just this tiny little shack of a house. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Wow. Just as you get off the ferry at the top of the hill.
2: Specialization is the key, huh? It, yeah, so if you is. ever wanted to know about umbrella covers, this is and the it, place. And it's the only
0: one in the world, by the way. So you're not going to find it anywhere else. It's can't, it's only on Peaks Island. Can't imagine why. <laughs> Aren't you? Haven't you always been wicked curious about umbrella covers?
2: When I walked by, I was like, what is this? I <laughs> hadn't so, even thought of it before.
0: <laughs> so that's one of the, the other wicked curious things out there um, on Peaks Island. But we have uh, much more creepy tales of things to check out on some of the other Casco Bay Islands. But... So I
1: just Googled it, and it came up on the Atlas Obscurator. Oh, there you go. Do you, are you familiar with that site?
0: Yes, I am familiar <laughs> okay. with that
1: site. Yep, that makes sense too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, if it's obscure, I try to find out about it.
2: <laughs> That's our job, I think.
0: That is, that is our job at New England Curiosities. But what we're going to do um, in just a second is we're, we're going to take a break and we're going to bring on Captain John uh, and talk lobster for a few minutes, find out what he's doing, what what's curious about lobsters. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the ghost stories and folklore from the Casco Bay Islands. So you are listening to Wicked Curious. We'll be right back.
3: For the best and curious entertainment, you have to check out New England Curiosities, located in the historic city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. New England Curiosities offers tales and tours of folklore, ghosts, and mysterious history, with author and historian Roxy Zwicker, New Hampshire's longest-running and original ghost tour. Roxy has been entertaining the locals, visitors from away, and curious souls since 1994. New England Curiosities has been offering tours and special haunted events since 2002. Highly respected and thoroughly, entertaining. You'll be talking about your experience for months to come. Discover why New England Curiosities is consistently on top of travel and tourism lists. Yankee Magazine calls the Shadows and Stones Graveyard Tour one of New England's top five cemetery tours. The Boston Globe says an experience with New England Curiosities is one of the three best alternatives to visiting Salem, Massachusetts. From scenic trolley rides to walking tours and speaking engagements, there's something for everyone. So join New England Curiosities and experience why they are consistently featured in the media including television appearances on the history channel and the travel channel check out the latest legendary tours and events from new england curiosities at new england curiosities.com and be sure to like new england curiosities on facebook
0: so we're going to bring on captain john who's coming to us from the main coast captain john are you with us this morning
4: i sure am welcome to the show and I'm wicked paying attention to all
2: this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we wicked appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, so uh, last night I, I wanted to make sure that I was in the mode for today, and we went and we had some some lobster bisque and talked about lobsters, and I'm sure there are things that we don't know we've had people come on our tours and they ask us about lobstering and we know that you know you've been doing this forever with you know over 120,000 visitors you're talking to about lobsters and all that you've done tell us you know what it is that you do and and why should we should be wicked curious about lobsters john
4: well of course maine's known for for lobster whenever you talk to somebody about maine lobsters comes in the forefront of their minds and we've been fishing lobsters in maine for well over 200 years now and uh, it is an interesting crustacean. Um, uh, you know, I have it. I used to have a tour boat that I took people out on, and I would haul traps and show them how it was done, and explain the anatomy and the biology of the lobster. For example, lobsters, uh, their eyesight's pretty bad. On the other hand, uh, the big antennae that they have uh, on their heads are used for probing for, for feeling. So they're they're yeah. basically uh, tactile antennae, and then they have. Um, two little pairs in between the big ones, that are called antennules, and that is the nose of the lobster. And they don't smell smoke or perfume like humans do, but every creature that lives in the ocean is off a scent. It's a chemical scent, hmm. different proteins and amino acids. And by the scent, they're able to determine if it's prey or predator.
2: Hmm.
4: And uh, sometimes I had little kids, you know, I'd point to a little kid and I'd say, uh, if I blindfold you and I pulled a cookie out of my pocket, <laughs> you can't see it, smell it, or taste it, and I rubbed it on your leg, could you tell me what kind it is? And most kids will say, no way. <laughs> and then you had the one little wise guy say, well, if it's got chocolate, chips raisins and that one usually went overboard (laughs) (laughs) lobsters of course don't eat cookies but those tiny hairs that cover its body including its legs are uh, what we call chemoreceptors and they too can detect chemical changes in the water and identify things and taste things by using those tiny little hairs on their legs
0: hmm i had no idea no See, th- things I didn't know about lobsters. I just thought they were delicious and curious. <laughs> but they're, like, they're doing their... They're that, their, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. They <laughs> they are, they are, they they're too. good
4: for you. Less cholesterol and, and, and fat than chicken breast with the skin off. And um, the rabbit, which happens to be one of the leanest of all white meats as well. <laughs> so when you're eating lobsters, you know, you, you, that's great for your diet and... Until you dunk it in butter, then all bets are off. But I mean, otherwise, it's it's very good for you. But you can prepare lobsters any way you would use shrimp or scallops. You stir fry, a marinara. Uh, There are a lot of ways you can prepare lobsters. Um, Do not have to add on that extra butter.
0: Well, one of the the curious things I had heard um, on the seacoast where we are is at the Portsmouth Naval Prison that they used to give lobster to the prisoners there because it was so abundant. What, what do you what do you know about that? Like, a, lobsters were were kind of you know the throwaway food when there was so much abundance.
4: Oh, they were a throwaway food, and when they had big storms on the coast of Maine, the lobsters would wash up on shore, and they'd pitch fork them into carts and use them as fertilizer. So. Hmm. At one point, the problem with lobsters at the very beginning, it was a local fishery, uh, and we weren't able to transport them very far because we didn't have the means to do that. And then uh, we picked up on something the Europeans were doing since the 16th century. Uh, part of the the boats that they uh, would haul seafood on, the hull itself would be open to seawater, so they would put the seafood in that in that compartment and they would be kept alive so they can transport them to, to long distances and um, in the eighteenth century we, we started to catch on to that technology and we created these boats a little bit later on that we called lobster smacks and they would go from harbor to harbor and pick up lobstermen's catch and then they would sail them down to places like boston and philadelphia new york so um, the more affluent people especially europeans they knew lobsters very well and at that time it was already a luxury food so now it expanded their market to big city centers and where people would appreciate lobster
2: so it took a while to catch on to keep them alive in water
4: correct <laughs> wow. uh, and now we actually are, are capable of shipping lobsters anywhere in the world for up to 50 hours sometimes a little bit more because again technologies have improved that's why countries like china have become one of our biggest importers uh, right now, Canada imports uh, most of our lobsters here in Maine, uh, but now we're shipping worldwide to Europe, to China, I mean, places like Taiwan, uh, even the Middle East. Uh, we're selling quite a, a lot of lobster there as well.
0: Wow. Do, do we know uh, any numbers, uh, Captain John, on the amount of lobsters that are, are just cultivated and, uh, I guess, shipped off from Maine?
4: Oh, uh, I'll give an example. In 2007, Uh, Our exports to China were practically nil, less than a million dollars, and now we're in well over 100 million. Uh, So um, Mm -hmm. these and and Europe as well, as far as our exports are concerned, Europe is still our biggest market. But uh, we're talking, you know, well over 100, 150, 170 million dollars worth to Europe, and then uh, our exports to China. I I think, don't quote me on this, are around 130, 40 million dollars.
2: I had no and that's idea. not counting wow. the
4: rest of the world. So. Hmm. Um, our catch is, to give you another idea, up until sure. the 19, early 1990s when we brought in oh, 30, 40 million pounds of lobsters in a year, it was considered a good harvest for the state of Maine. And uh, in 2016, when we beat all the records, we exceeded 130 million pounds. And last year it was down a little bit, 110 or 11 million pounds. Uh, but we've been exceeding 100 million pounds now for several years. So thanks to our conservation and our regulatory protections, um, our, our fishery is probably one of the best managed in the world. It's sustainable, and uh, and we're not looking at any big downturn in terms of um, how much lobster is out
2: there. It seems like the the, the lobster fishery is really hardy because I never hear anything like, oh, that's in trouble or anything like that. It's true.
4: Oh, at the beginning of the season, lobstermen all complained.
0: (laughs) That's part of the job, I would suppose. And
4: then by the end... By the end, we'll we'll, we'll get into uh, you know uh, November, December, January, and then they're all thrilled because they they had a great catch. But it, it's their nature to complain. That's okay. <laughs> it's part of the life. <laughs> That's part of the life. Exactly,
1: Captain. Along those lines, can you talk to us a little bit about customs and etiquette and rules around among lobster fishermen and among boaters and lobster fishermen? Because you can run yourself into some trouble, can't you?
4: <laughs> oh, you certainly can. I always tell people, you know. Uh, it, it's kind of a nightmare for recreational boaters along the coast of Maine in the summer because there's so much gear out there, and of course there's always a danger of getting caught up in it. Um, etiquette between lobstermen, you know, it's funny. I I, I always said, uh, it, it's a great community to be born in because uh, there's there's such a solidarity between lobstermen. Uh, it's one of these. Uh, businesses, everyone's a businessman, by the way. Um, there's no corporate entities here controlling our lobster fishery. Mm. Every lobster fisherman has his license, and he's a separate businessman. That's So they're fiercely individualistic. And uh, we have zones, uh, territories. Uh, we have seven, they're, they're called zones, and they're designated by letters from A to G. So you have seven zones up the coast of Maine. And a lobster will fish within his zone. And there are a lot of rules and regulations determining uh, where lobstermen can fish and uh, how many traps they can have. Right now, for most of the state, the trap limit is 800. That's a lot. Uh, there are a few mm-hmm. islands that have less than that, 400, 475, and a few zones are at 600 now. And the trend is that it, I think those numbers will be coming down as time goes on. Uh uh we do a lot of things to protect our resources and lobstermen are very respectful of that they have to be because it is the law for example uh that what we call um the tail is actually the abdomen of the lobster and at the end you have these five little flippers that are called europods and the next to the right europod uh if we catch a lobster that's carrying eggs a female we'll notch it it's called a v-notch and uh by law we'll put it back and then um if the next lobsterman finds that lobster, whether it has eggs or not, if that V-notch is in the tail, uh, they'll have to uh, release it. And that guarantees that we always have, we always have enough females out there for the brood stocks to keep the eggs coming in. And uh, if you catch a lobster that's a female, no eggs, no notch, that one's fair game if it's a legal size.
1: Hmm. How many uh, offspring will a lobster produce in hmm. the season?
4: Well... That's another thing. It takes, in these waters, the warmer the water, as you go south, uh, they mature quicker. But, for example, where we are near Bar Harbor, uh, for a, a female and a male to reach uh, maturity, a female will take six to seven years, uh, and then she'll have her first um, clutch of eggs. So it takes a long time. She can have anywhere between three to 6,000 eggs the very first time. But the key is, out of three to 6,000 eggs that are born, Only three to six will survive to become adults, which equals out to about one-tenth of one percent. So that's why we have to be very, very careful. We have size limits. Uh, We can't harvest a a lobster under a certain size, and the reason for that, if they don't get to that minimum size, they may have never laid eggs. So we have to protect those lobsters so they're able Mm -hmm. to lay eggs at least once before they're caught. Another thing, we have a maximum size, and Maine was unique for over 70 years. In having a maximum size, and the maximum size will yield about a four and a half to four and three quarter pound lobster, and we have to um, throw those back because those are our best egg layers. They carry the most eggs. They can have fifty, sixty, a hundred thousand eggs. We don't want to keep those because those are our best producers, and you have to release the big males. As well, not just the females, but the males, because they have to be of almost equal size to be able to mate. So you yeah. have to be re- release both genders, males and females.
1: Well, that keeps a good balance. And just yep. to balance out the etiquette thing, a, a word to the wise for recreational boaters, stay the hell away from lobster traps, right? <laughs> There's you no know, sense of humor it, about this.
4: Yeah, it's. I'll tell you what, it, it's a difficult <laughs> thing for them to do, and, and, and I acknowledge that fact. But, yeah, the best thing to do is probably... Uh, stay away from them as much as you can. If you see a buoy laying on its side, go to where the top of the spindle is, that side. So leave the buoy off to your starboard side, to the right side, because on the right side you'll get caught up in line. But um, it, it, it is tough. You have to be vigilant while you're out there, there's no doubt. And our, uh, our lines, to our equipment has been adapted to uh, try to protect right whales. Uh, it's one of the most endangered species uh, in the world, and there are only about four or 500 left on the planet. And we, we've actually um, adapted our gear to lower the risk of entanglement. That's been a big thing that we've been trying to do in Maine is to protect um, these beautiful mammals. And um, we put in our gear uh, something called a weak link. So if the, uh, the whale hits that line or that buoy, at six hundred pounds of pressure it 'll separate and and that is better than having that line getting tangled around a whale and jeopardizing uh, the whale's life mm-hmm. and we 've been very conscious about that and we 've actually been doing those uh, kind of things for over twenty years now so we've because um, I know that in the news there 's been a big talk about uh, quite a few right whales were were lost this past winter, and most of them were north from us. Um, in Canada, uh, near, near the mouth of the Saint Lawrence River, um, where crab fishing is big, but in May we've made a really conscious effort to try to avoid that at all costs, so that we don't uh, we don't jeopardize the longevity of of that species, and we hope that you know in time right whales will come back.
0: Oh, that's fantastic! Mm. I didn't even I didn't even know that yeah, there was such good, a thing. Yeah, that's good.
4: Oh, we do a lot of good stuff. That's oh. great. Oh, besides, besides bringing them in. you
2: know, you got to come here about
4: claws. I mean, that, thats the
2: deal.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, you got that. That's the best. Meet the claws. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh absolutely. Oh, yeah. Now I, I heard like there's a difference in the claws. Like, like one one will take your arm off, and then the other one's different for some reason. What's what's the difference with the two claws?
4: Well. <clears throat> The claw, the dominant claw, is what we call the crusher claw, and it has sort of what looks like round teeth on it, and and that's the the most muscular, that's the biggest claw, and the crusher claw is made for crushing. Um, so whenever it catches a prey, uh, it, it'll crush the prey, and then the other claw is a lot thinner, it's it's not as muscular, and it has sharp teeth, and there are different terms that are used depending on where the lobstermen live, they may call it the crusher, the, I'm sorry, the, the pincher, the caeser, the scissor, the ripper, the shredder. <laughs> Uh, they're all names for it. They're all good names. Uh, so don't shred the prey <laughs> using that thats um, <clears throat> that's finer claw, the, the, the thinner claw. So, yeah, they, they do have its uh, kind of a knife and a fork kind of deal. Oh,
0: that's really cool. But
2: tasty,
4: yes.
0: Yes, but tasty, <laughs> but tasty.
4: Yeah, the crusher claw, again, is always the largest. So people ask me what's best to eat, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or order, a male or a female. So I tell them, you know, if you prefer claws and you have two two-pound lobsters, um, order the male because the male's claws will be much larger than the female's. Versus, if you prefer what they call the tail meat, you'd want to order the female because the female's um, abdomen the tail, and what they call the tail, is wider. Hmm. So that's about the big difference. And some people like the row, you know, that
0: the smiley thing. Sign. Oh, that yeah. Oh the, the, yeah. That, that, <laughs> that funky stuff. No, right I'm
2: curious about the blue lobster because they always make the news when they pull one up in Maine.
4: Well. <clears throat> Lobsters come kind of in different colors. You have red, blue, white, yellow. Some are actually calico, like cats. Um, they're rare. When we find one like that, we'll usually, um, we, we don't keep it. We'll bring it to an oceanarium or a marine biology lab yeah. or somewhere where people can see them because they, they are rarities. And you'll hear a lot of uh, theories on why they're one color or another and, you uh, um, it, it can have something to do with what they eat, but the proteins and they ingest. Uh, but it is a genetic trait. Mm. It's um, what we call a recessive gene. It's like humans that have blonde hair, and blue eyes. So if they have the right genes, they'll be a certain color. Uh, you can breed them to be a color. I've heard that they're. Marine biologists that actually can breed a blue lobster depending on the, the proteins and uh, the, the nutrition they're given. Hmm. But they're very rare. And again, we don't keep them. We'll, uh, some are really neat, though. They're bicolored. It looks like they were taped down the middle. they yeah,
2: orange seen those, on same. one I
4: side think black on the like other, or two hmm. colors. And, and those as well. well, we'll bring them in so people can see them because they are oddities.
1: Captain, I got a text with a couple questions. Can you eat the whole lobster after it molts like a soft shell crab? And what is a chicken lobster?
4: A chicken lobster is just a smaller lobster up to about a pound and a quarter, so they just uh, classify them as uh, uh, chick or select, uh, jumbo. Um, the uh, I've had that question a lot about can you eat them when they molt. No, because they'd be like a piece of leather, and I know blue crabs are so delicious when they molt, and the people who sell blue crabs have to, blue crabs have to be very, very... Judicious as when to sell them, because a few hours after they molt,
2: yeah.
4: uh, they'll start to harden up again. So there's a very short window when between the time they molt and the time they can sell them is soft shell uh, lobsters. You'll hear the term new shell or soft shell lobsters, and those are lobsters that have already molted, and you can tell it. You can tell real easily because if you pinch the carapace, and if you do that, do it very, very delicately, because you can crack them very easily. The shell is very soft. They're very pliable. Uh, As the lobster um, gets a little bit uh, older, because this will happen within a few months, between the time they're soft-shell and they become hard shells, it's five, six months. Uh, You can't bend that carapace. It's very, very hard. But when they're soft-shell, you can crack them open with your hands. You really don't need tools. What you will notice, though, is when you crack open the claw of a soft-shell lobster, the muscle inside is very small because it'll take uh, a few months for that uh, muscle to fully develop into the new shell. Because every time they molt, they'll gain they'll gain thirty to forty percent in in volume, in muscle volume, and about eleven to fifteen percent in linear size. So it'll take several months for that lobster to fully grow into that new shell. Um, so that's the difference between a, a soft shell and a hard shell, or an old shell.
0: Is there one that you, you prefer, Captain John?
4: Now, they've done taste tests. In fact, in New York City, they, they've gathered some of the most famous chefs in the business, and they were given soft-shell meat and hard-shell meat blindfolded. And unanimously, the uh, chefs chose the soft-shell meat. They find it to be more tender and sweeter. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, but it's all a question of taste. I like hard-shells, but a lot of people do prefer uh the soft shell on the other hand if you're ordering a lobster and it's a soft shell and you have a big appetite you definitely want to order a larger um soft shell because again there'll be less meat in the claws but the meat is sweeter and more tender
0: oh that's fascinating Mm -hmm. so captain john how can people find you and if they want to learn more how can they connect with you
4: well, I actually had a tour boat for 18 years that I ran in by Harbor, and I sold it in 2016 at the end of the season, and now I'm dedicating um, my activities to doing lectures on Maine's lobster fisheries. Uh, I do lectures for groups, um, seniors and business incentive groups, and uh, I go to culinary institutes. People want to learn where the lobster came from, how it was fished. Sustainability also is a big um, big thing right now, a big trend, and also... Um, I'm just going to mention this really quickly. This may surprise everyone, is that ninety one percent of all seafood that's consumed in the US, and these are figures that were given by NOAA uh, is actually seafood that comes from elsewhere. So the the nice thing about lobster, it's fished in main waters, so it's it's American <laughs> and it's delicious, and it's fished responsibly. So I talk about all these topics uh during my lectures. So if they want to get in touch with me, it's uh the website's um, lobster talk, all in one word, lobster talk com. And if they want to call me, uh, the area code's 2341 207-963-2341. That's 207-963-2341. And if you'd like to have me come and do a lecture. And I do come dressed as a lobsterman with my orange overalls, my <laughs> trout, my buoys and my tools. And for larger groups I do PowerPoint presentations. But um it's about an hour long and it's interactive so people can ask a lot of questions at the end of the lecture and I'll answer all of them.
0: Well, I know uh, you and I are in talks right now to have you come to our quaint city of Portsmouth to do an event uh, called Meet Me at the Meeting House that we're working on for the summer. I'm just working on getting the the dates in check for that and confirming one of those with you. So we'll give you more information as that comes closer. But I'm really excited to to learn more and and to meet you and to have you in. So um, I, I really appreciate you being on with us on Wicked Curious today. This was really fascinating. I learned <laughs> way more than I intended on learning too, and now now I want to go for more loves. So yeah, <laughs> now, making me hungry. now I'm hungry again, which Well, just is don't awesome. forget
4: the whoopie pie at the end of your yeah, lobsters. You know, that, oh, that, that is a main that's must. That's the key to a grand success right there. <laughs> 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 gotta have your lobster and you gotta have your whoopie pie at the end.
0: I am a fan. Absolutely. Absolutely. Great suggestion. Thank you.
4: Okay, well, this Thank is Wicked you. Fun, so uh, guys, anytime you know, uh, I'm here, and if you want to get in touch with me, again, LobsterTalk.com, and I'll be happy to to book as many lectures as I can with people that are interested in <laughs> having me over.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Captain John. Thank you. Have, have a good day. We'll talk soon.
4: You as well. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. But... And, uh, for all the fun and excitement, we're gonna get spooky now, uh-huh. and we're gonna get creepy now. And this actually comes from the book that could not be written, which is called Haunted Portland. Um, I wrote this book. Oh my god, it's over ten years ago now. Um, it was a really <laughs> hard a closer. It, <laughs> it was a really hard book to nice. to write because there was. I don't want to say a stodginess to some of the people that we talked to, but it was like... A reluctance. Yeah, It was a reluctance, yeah. I think that's a good word. It's like... We aren't haunted. We haven't been haunted. We're not going to be
1: haunted. More than usual? Because I imagine you, <laughs> more you run into one way or the other. The people who are embracing it are people who are very reluctant. To... Yeah, there was a lot but more. But this was more yeah. more reluctance than you used to running into. Yeah,
0: yeah. unfortunately. However, that's we good, found man. enough to fill a book. Yeah. and it's we got to have... work
1: for it. That's the better stuff. It is.
0: And yeah. and and, and I, I really feel that, that was a, a nice little achievement for us. It was to really mine some of these stories that's, out. That's why I do
2: call this one of my favorite books. One of her favorite books because we did really have to work for it
0: Mm -hmm. so we have a chapter in the book, it's called The Legends of Casco Bay Islands, there's also a Casco Bay sea serpent, there's a ghost ship, so I wanted to um, briefly just share some of the Casco Bay Island uh, wicked curious stories so I'm just going to pull a little bit from the book here so you can sit back and maybe tuck into a, a lobster roll just watch out for that crusher claw So the Casco Bay Islands are romantic, mysterious, and are steeped in legends and lore. The native people called the bay Akusakisko, which means the place of the heron. The Native American presence is recorded in the shell mounds found on the shores of many of the islands. Casco Bay Islands were originally named the Calendar Islands by explorer Captain John Smith, who we Mm. talk a lot about down along our seacoast as well, in the 17th century. As he thought there was an island for every day of the year. Today, there are about 220 official islands in Casco Bay. So close, but not quite. So so very close. Oh,
1: he had other things to do than count.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is true. So there are pirate stories. There are creepy cat stories. So I'm going to give you the creepy cat story from uh, Haskell Island. So this is located just south of Harpswell Neck and west of Bailey's Island. The island is a sheltered cove, and it's very abundant for fishing, and the island is actually named for two brothers who purchased it and operated a saltwater farm there. The brothers were said to be both hardworking and successful. It's said that one day a ship came to the island and some rats got loose and proceeded to be annoyance to the Haskell brothers. The multiplying rats seemed to get into everything from the supplies to the grain and the fish. The brothers figured the best way to control the havoc that was being brought upon them was to bring two cats onto the island. While the cats seemed to do the trick of ridding the island of rats... Sounds like a
1: nursery rhyme, doesn't
2: it? It does. Swallowed the spider to (laughs) catch the fly. (laughs) But I don't know why they swallowed the fly.
0: (laughs) Bigger problems loomed ahead for the brothers. The cats began to multiply, and with no natural enemies, they began to take over the island. The cats became bold and hungry, and they raided the caches of fish and slaughtered the hens on the island. One brother became quite ill, and the other went to retrieve him a doctor. Upon his return, he found his ailing brother dead having been attacked and half-eaten by the ferocious felines. Cats. The surviving brother was said to have destroyed all the remaining descendants of the uncontrollable cats. The brother continued to live on the island and vowed to hate cats until his dying day. According to legend, some old islanders said that there were some cats who escaped being killed and that the descendants are sometimes seen looking down from the treetops on the mm-hmm. island. So I found it's a that
1: long-standing feud between the <laughs> brothers and the cats. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, I found that story. It was in the reference room of the Portland Public Library, which we spent a very long time going through dusty tombs. And that was a story. I yeah. just, I was like, no wonder Stephen King lives in Maine. Like, <laughs> it's you, all there. You, you, I mean, all of this weird folklore, creepy true stuff is yeah. it's there. And I can't even imagine being on. On an island with that—that's kind
1: of—it's not even unbelievable. It doesn't—it doesn't stretch this. It doesn't strain credulity at all. <laughs> you could see this happen.
0: You—you you totally could. I think yeah. that's the creepiest part. Well, of yeah, this.
1: It's, it's believable. A yeah. bunch of feral cats. You know, the brother died, and they took after him. And the other brother got mad and started slaughtering cats. Oh. Well, it's not like they had Netflix or anything. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah. that is true. That's
2: no, one of those truth is stranger than fiction. Yeah,
0: yeah. Speaking of truth is stranger than fiction, let's tell you about the Casco Bay sea serpent. And we have we have sea serpents all along the southern Maine coast. There's another one that's seen off of Wells. Um, in addition to to this story, so this is a, a separate story from the one in Wells. So during July and of 1818, a long beast air bunnies, <laughs> was reported in the waters not far from Portland Head Lighthouse, which if you haven't gone to Portland Head, you must go. Amazing! It's absolutely amazing. I was very lucky to do two seasons of ghost tours at night at Portland Head. Um, unfortunately, it just it got to be very difficult to navigate, trying to figure out how to keep that going. Mm. So the captain of this vessel was certain that he had seen this beast raise its head out of the water at least 30 to 50 feet. Holy cow. And the ghastly creature was seen heading in the direction of the lighthouse. An account by Ole Michelson of Portland said that he encountered the creature in June of 1958. Michelson was born and raised in Denmark and had come up to Maine in 1923. Accompanied by another man, he woke up early that summer morning to go fishing in the waters off of Cape Elizabeth, about one and one quarter miles south of the Portland lightship. He described seeing what he thought was a submarine, but upon a closer look, he discovered that he was seeing a live creature. The tail of the creature had surfaced over the water, and the serpent dove down under the water several times. He went on to say that the creature appeared to be well over 100 feet long, and it turned to look at the two men in the boat. As quickly as the creature had appeared, it turned away, and his companion and him saw it heading southeast through the mist. They said it most likely was attracted to the sounds of the Portland lightship's horn. Watching the creature in Casco Bay for 45 minutes, both men were certain they had encountered a sea serpent.
2: Wow. Mm. Not just a sea serpent, 100 feet of sea, sea serpent. That's pretty big. It was it attracted to the horn? Maybe it was like a mating call to it?
0: just, I, I, what's it this does, all about? It, I, I don't, it just doesn't, curious, it doesn't say day. that. So <laughs> draw your own conclusions. Well, there. this would be and... important
1: information because you don't want to go attracting sea serpents. <laughs> yeah, you don't have the wrong kind of horn. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I guess not. <laughs> no. <I don't> <laughs> you want to attract lobsters, not sea serpents. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, and let me uh, give you one more from the Casco Bay Islands. I, I cover quite a lot of islands in here, um, such as Jewel, Cliff Island, um, Great Shabig, Bailey, there's, I mean, every island, of course, has its, it's little bit of folklore out there, but I think, I don't know, Lou, what do you think, a good pirate story?
1: Oh, yeah, we need a pirate we story. We need a pirate story. It'd be the pirates or mermaids. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we'll we'll take it to Cliff Island, and it has 75 year-round residents, and there's lots of ledges on Cliff Islands as it overlooks the Atlantic, and this story was uh, actually going back to the time of moon cussers. And it moon was cussers. Moon cussers. So it was said that because of the moon's rays as they mirror and enhance light, that sailors could see very well on moonlit nights, and even when the moon was partially full. Sure. So yep. therefore, decoy lanterns would not fool experienced mariners under these circumstances. Oh. As such, when moon cussers deceptions did not succeed. They often shouted, cuss the moon into the moonlit night.
1: Yeah. So That was a bad time for pirates. <laughs> it was a
0: bad time for pirates. <laughs> the moon
1: was relatively full.
0: <laughs> so Captain Keefe was thought to be a smuggler and a pirate. At one time he was the lone occupant of the island and during storms he would fasten a lantern to his horse's neck and ride back and forth across a narrow stretch of the island in hopes that he would lure passing vessels to their doom on the treacherous reefs. Ships that were hoping for shelter from the storms became wrecked on the island with no escape, and oftentimes the crew would fall victim to the combination of the perilous shoals and the unrelenting weather. Captain Keefe would make sure that there were no survivors, and he would bury the bodies of the unfortunate sailors on a grassy knoll near a deep ravine, and this area has been come to now known on the island as Keefe's Garden. Keefe would then salvage the ship's... Garden, I like Keefe's that. Garden. Keefe's
2: Pl- garden. <laughs> Planting them in his garden. Huh? Planting them in his
0: garden. Very poetic. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> He would then salvage the ship's cargo and any valuables he could find, making for a very unique way of life. And then after his mission was complete, he would return to his log hut, awaiting the next storm. And I also thought that it was interesting to note that one of the island's claims to fame is that it was a location of the movie The Whales of August, which was filmed in 1986, starring Betty Davis. Hmm. So there's a little bit of history out there on the island, as well as a, a garden of the dead planted by a pirate in the Mooncutter. Keefe's
1: garden. Keefe's garden. So no one's ever thought to excavate that or anything. I, I don't. Do you want to excavate a whole bunch of I, dead people? I, I, don't, I no, don't know. If you want to know.
0: know, I well, I get well. Where's Edward Rose Snow for this? He'd do it. He would do it. He would do. It. He, would do it. He, he would have Did gone it? out there. Yes.
1: <laughs> and have then, a ceremony <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't even imagine. We're sorry for your passage. We're going to dig you up, say a prayer, and then put you back That's in there. That's right. Like, what you know, are you going to give do him with headstones, them? headstones. Yeah, give them a little, a little, little holy water and, and
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, a blessing. Some, some
0: sort of blessing <laughs> for their untimely death. Yeah. So Casco Bay Islands, again, you can get a, a great look at them should you take the Casco Bay Ferry, which does tours. You can go out to Portland Head. They'll bring you out and bring you around. And... The cat is running, so to speak, right now. The other cat.
2: Oh, the cat. Yeah, the boat.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Very different cat. Yes, it's a very different cat. That was my lead into that. So if you want to take the ferry, of course, up to Nova Scotia, it is running again from Portland. Oh, yeah, the
1: the cat ferry, yeah. Yeah, the cat ferry. The high-speed cat. Have you done that?
0: We haven't. Um, We were actually, we had been planning on going on the previous cat that was there, and then they went belly up and i don't mean the boat but they actually went belly <laughs> up well, luckily
1: it didn't sink luckily it yeah. didn't sink so no. that not the greatest nomenclature <laughs> no. in the boat business <laughs> it's
0: yeah. <not>. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately that boat was shipped off it's now i think i think we saw it was in japan now
2: yeah, the one they were using. Yeah,
0: so now there's there's another one. So we do want to take it, but you have to have your passports and everything in yeah. check to go do it. But we want to go and check it out because Ken has family up I in. have family
2: and relatives from the uh, Lunenburg area up by Halifax. Yeah, okay. So that's where my Zwicker family came in in the mid-1700s, and then they migrated down into America.
1: Family members you're close to and aware of, and you guys know of each other or?
2: no, not really, yeah. but my grandfather, my father's father was
1: up there and moved down here, yeah.
0: Oh, it was kind of cool because I was um, doing a talk last year, and a woman had come down. She does tours in Lunenburg, and she says the whole reason why she's like I came to take this tour is because of your last name's Wicker. Oh. she says Wicker is all over Lunenburg, and the you know the fisheries up there and all the businesses up there. So she said I wanted to know if there was a connection, just because I do all the tours up there. So it was really kind of cool. That now we're like, we're really pushed to go up there. Now we have a connection to learn a little yeah, bit more. Yeah, so I on. can't
2: wait to get up there and check this all out. Yeah, you yeah, got to go. Zwickertown like, right. up there, yeah.
0: so. <laughs> I'm, so I'm really it's not a... quite called Zwickertown, but okay. You may
2: have an inheritance <laughs> up there or something. Yeah. That's, that's what, what I said. That's what I'm hoping, State. yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah there's going to be something there. <laughs> yeah, there's even a, uh, a uh, two-masted schooner called the Sherman Zwicker that was built in uh, Lunenburg.
1: And Are you related now, to Sherman Zwicker, do you
2: know? Um, I could be. Yeah, they, the group, just a group of the family came over, and then some more came over, and then some more. Wow! Um, the boat's now a restaurant in New York City. Get out! Yeah, mm-hmm. they sold it. It used to be up here at the uh, museum. What was what the museum called?
0: Which, which museum? The
2: Museum of the Atlantic, or something like that. Oh, up here yeah, in, um, we, yeah. On the Kennebec P- River. Yeah, we've got
0: pictures of it. I was saying along the Kennebec River. Yeah. We saw it, it was beautiful. Oh yeah, I'd have to. So really I just want to obtain yeah. this yeah. boat. Yeah.
2: It should be mine, I
1: think. I want the boat. <laughs> it
0: should it at should least
1: have mine. a reservation. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, my own seat, discount, twenty percent off, or something. Free dinner,
0: free dinner. There you my go. My great
1: great great grandfather built this damn boat. Exactly. <laughs> or bought it, or whatever.
0: So check our schedule, com. Our schedule is pretty full right now. I've made some updates, so we have some speaking engagements coming up starting in June. We've got more trolley tours on the schedule as well, so there's a lot of things for you to participate in. But I will say if you are interested in coming out on some of our tours, definitely reserve early. We've had some folks that have been a little bit disappointed to find out that some of our tours are already sold oh, out yeah. for Memorial Day weekend. So if you're coming Reservations up... Reservations, yeah, recommended. Yeah, especially yeah, if you're traveling
2: here, you definitely want to... Book
0: ahead, yeah, yeah, because we're we're already booked out for a they lot of tourists out. in in just a month. Memorial Day weekend is in just a month. Wow! So, wow. Yeah. so, you definitely want to get on there and make your reservations. You want to find us on Facebook as well. A little bit later, I'll um, I'll post some pictures of Peaks Island and I don't know, maybe a, a picture of the lobster bisque we had last night <laughs> in case you're interested. There's a nice steaming bowl of bisque. <laughs> nice to bowl to check out. And of and of course, I had a Bloody Mary with it, which is you know just as interesting as well. Nice. But thank you so much for listening to Wicked Curious today. Uh, We welcome your questions, comments. Go right ahead and let us know. And for now, this is Roxy inviting you to always be Wicked Curious.